come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I had a sermon. And then yesterday afternoon happened. I had a sermon, but all I could think about was a Facebook post from a clergy friend and colleague of mine several years ago, seven years ago to be exact. It was after the Pulse nightclub shootings in Orlando, Florida in 2016. June 12th, coming up on that anniversary. His post said, if you go to church this morning and your pastor has nothing to say about the Pulse shootings, you need to find another church. Amen. I had a sermon that I had planned. I had planned to unpack the language of John 14, 6. You know it. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. I was going to take to task all those who used Jesus' words as a cudgel to judge and hate and distort into dogma an absolute teaching of exclusion. You see, I had discovered this wonderful insight about this sentence that would support my sermon. It explained that early in Christianity, Christians used the Greek word hodos that is translated into the English as the way to describe both the literal and the figurative paths their lives followed. For example, the Magi returned to their home country by another way, literally. They went on a different road. Equally, when Jesus points to John the Baptist as one who came in a way of righteousness, hados, the way, is figurative a way of being in the world. And by the end of the book of Acts, we find Christians referring to their whole communal life with God as the way, right? So when Jesus told his followers, I am the way, he wasn't saying, I am the answer. <laughs> Something a lot of Christians um, assume he must have said, but oh, he didn't. Of course, the difference between the two self-descriptions is huge. I am hados, figuratively, invites openness to all ambiguities and doubts and questions and wonder and awe that go with a journey along uncertain paths and stepping courageously into an unknown future. While I am the answer, the only singular path suggests a binary understanding of life and relationships. You either are in or you're out. You either get it or you don't. And if you don't, well, so sad, too bad. It was a good sermon, right? And then yesterday at 3.30 p.m., people were killed and wounded by yet another lone gunman with a high 
sounds like? You don't have to watch the video, but you need to listen to it because it doesn't sound anything like what you think it should. Just so you know. There are people for whom the ground beneath their feet is giving way. With unavoidable and unexpected difficulties suddenly in front of them. They are overwhelmed with fear and griefs. Everything they have invested their lives in and hopes in seems to be falling apart in front of their eyes. We know, we know this because of our scripture today. The disciples are in that same place, the place that we know this morning, the place of the world moving beneath our feet. And we know that they know because we're experiencing their anxiety and doubts and fears and grief as well. But Jesus, who has actually thrust them into this place of struggle by telling them that he will suffer and be humiliated and die, and they, to a person, will completely abandon him in that moment, well, it's just too much. They, what did he say to this? Jesus has just finished washing their feet and has told them that they are to love one another as I have loved you. And then he says the words we heard this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Abba's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Could there be any more comforting words of Scripture? Could Jesus have spoken to them any more comforting words? Then do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. It is so comforting to hear those words that it is preached at almost every contemporary funeral today. So, far from scolding the disciples or trying to elaborate on the intellectual understanding of salvation, who will get into heaven, Jesus is actually offering the disciples urgent, poignant care. Being a pastor today, he is assuring them that his imminent departure is not abandonment, but a move that will make way for an even deeper intimacy with him and with God. And just as we may be asking today, in the face of the violence we have witnessed, good Thomas asks, how can we know the way? Don't you love Thomas? He's the patron saint of progressive Christians. How are we supposed to know the way? 
And Jesus' response amounts to this. You already know the way. Do you understand that? Jesus says to these faithful disciples, as much as they have messed up, he says, you already know. And as followers of Jesus sitting here today and online, you already know the way. You know it. You wouldn't be here if you didn't know it. He says, in, in essence, you know the way we've been traveling. The truth we've been learning. The life we've been living. So keep going. And when you do, I will be there with you. Oh, and by the way, love one another as I have loved you, which will be sure signs of your ongoing communion with me and with God. Besides. So at its heart, this is a passage of consolation. It is about Jesus reassuring dismayed disciples that he is not abandoning them. And if he didn't abandon them, he has not abandoned us. As much as it may feel like it right now. As much as it may feel like God has turned away. As much as it feels like that we've been left alone to suffer this. No, he didn't abandon them, and he has not abandoned us. This is at the heart of everything he is saying here. I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back for you so that where I am, you may be also. He will not leave us orphans. Jesus is committed to giving them peace in the midst of turmoil, and if them, then us. Jesus' absence then makes way for a new presence, the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus leaves to make possible an even more intimate relationship with God, for the Holy Spirit to inhabit our hearts, our souls, our very lives. For Jesus' goal is not merely to obey his commandments, but to live in him as he lives in us. And what would so much intimate, mutual indwelling look like, do you think? Because like Thomas, we want to know that. Jesus, exactly what does that look like? So I will know, right? Well, it would look like Jesus. And at the same time, it would look like and sound just like that. <laughs> just like us, in our full humanity. It would look like us being true to our best selves. The people God has created us and dreamed us to be. It will look like love. Incarnate, tangible, down to earth. No matter the state of our world, our 
country creation, it will look like love of the highest order. It will look like you. It will look like peace. Not just any peace, but what Jesus calls my peace. The shalom, the great wholeness of you, of me, of creation, of all people. A community coming and going alive with the Spirit. It will look like staying the course, trusting in God. You know, we use that word believe in the scripture, but it's not an intellectual assent. It's about an organic trust. It's about trusting God. Trusting God who has been revealed to us in human form by Jesus, the rabbi of Nazareth, the human rabbi of Nazareth, and the Holy Spirit still present to guide us and comfort us when our world falls apart. And as hard as it may be today to hear and trust, it will also look like joy. Mary Ludy is one of my favorite devotional writers. She writes for the United Church of Christ Still Speaking Devotionals. She's an educator and pastor and author of the book Teresa of Avila's Way and many articles and many devotionals. She reflects on what Jesus has to say just a few chapters coming in the Gospel of John. Jesus says to them, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You hear that? Jesus in you, so that your joy may be complete. And this is what she writes. I want you to listen. So, it was all about joy. It was for joy he was born. For joy he befriended and healed. For joy he offered the powers for joy, he said, love one another and love the world, even though you don't belong to it, and it's never going to love you back. It was for joy he endured the terrible shame. For joy, he was raised. For joy, he said, peace be with you and pardoned us everything. For joy, he ascended to God. For joy, he returned, sending the Holy Spirit so that his joy would be in us, so that our joy would be complete. And all this time, all this time, you thought it was about duty. <laughs> so you've been doing it. You thought it was about making Herculean efforts. So you've been doing them. You thought it was about becoming a better person and making the world a better place, so you've slogged away. You thought it was about the difference you should make, about getting the holy job done. And it's about that. But it was always about joy. The joy of his company. It still is.
You see, to follow in the way, the hados, with Jesus, the living risen Christ, to love in the face of hate, to offer peace when confronted with violence and despair, to live in deep and profound joy in the midst of fear and grief, is to dare to be changed by the living God and made new. Because the whole purpose of the story is so that you may trust that Jesus is the Christ, the beloved one of God, and that trusting you may have life in his name. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>